0: We were we were just talking before the show. I want to be. We got a we got a compressed schedule here, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm going to be brief in my opening inanity, Marita. Now I know I know Richard doesn't know. Tell me about eating a pig head. What what have you done that before?
1: I have not. I have tasted pig brain I had a oh. friend. A friend who roasted a whole pig and kind of stuck my finger in through the hot eye,
2: eye hole and got a little scoop there. It was wow,
0: just pretty- brutal.
2: That it is the worst pudding, sentence like, I've ever heard said. That is literally.
0: Oh, gosh. Thanks.
1: I know. I did it. I know. I don't know. It was crazy. Um, <laughs> it was uh, it was putting like in texture and um, uh-huh. smoky because it was on a fire. It was great. Yeah. I mean, brain is a very del- it's a delicate delicacy for a reason. It's delicious. I,
0: I only know two things about eating brain. One, it goes with fava beans. That's What I oh. learned, <laughs> and and two, I think we probably talked about this, Richard. You have to remind me. I think when I was when I was in Beijing a year or so ago, I had Paul uh, Kubernetes or Tasty Meats. Paul, and I had pig brain. And um, here's my review: not good. Don't eat it. It's not no.
1: Well, how was it maybe from- maybe
0: if I think if it was smoky and sucked out through a, an eye socket, it might be good. Uh, <sighs> but it was it was basically deep fried, and it was it was just. Um, you know, I used to tell people that I'll eat anything, which is which is pretty <laughs> much true. Uh, but I've decided what I'm gonna tell them is I'll eat anything, but I don't like organs. Like I'll eat organs know. if I have to, but I really I'm <laughs> not into it. I don't I don't want organs. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You're uh, I think your your our new band name is Hot Eye
2: Hole. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> gosh. Man. I've had I've had calf brain before as well. And
0: yeah. That's yeah.
1: Pretty, I think i th- and this is just a theory. I have no idea if there's anything that I back me up, but I think about the smarter the animal, the more I guess luscious or as I said, pudding like the, mm, the like fatty the brain is, hmm. maybe. I don't hmm. know. Because I remember hearing an episode about people who in Appalachia they still eat squirrel and raccoon.
0: Yeah. Um
1: and uh I think uh someone mentioned that the there was a difference in the texture of the brains. And I, huh. I yeah, the smarter the brain, the the smoother i mean smarter the the animal the smoother the texture of the brain but you know i'm making that up so well listen this is a
0: testable theory so uh maybe maybe next time maybe maybe uh what what week is spring one platform october 7th to 9th did i get that right yeah,
2: yeah. we'll all yeah. eat some octopus or whatever else are really smart animals oh uh,
1: <laughs> octopus i've i've given up octopus so i only will do it uh if 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 i'm in spain because um they're Sort of, I know this is not politically correct to say, but that's, it's my spirit animal.
2: I thought you could say they're super, I know they are super smart, but if we're supposed to eat smart things, it obviously can't be
0: people. Like I'm just trying to pick smart animals.
1: <laughs> and you can't, you know, I have a, yeah, pigs are really smart too, apparently. Smarter than dogs. Mm.
0: Mm. Well, listen. Apologies to all the listeners who uh, <laughs> didn't like the previous discussion. Now we're going to get on to computers. My understanding <laughs> of computers are dumb as a post. However, <laughs> they are an exception to the rule is they do seem good. So don't don't eat computers, even though. <laughs> well maybe this confirms they're really dumb uh so they're not uh tasty, I'm
1: not be tasty. <laughs>
0: definitely not very tender unless heated up really hot in which case they would melt your mouth so mm. don't don't go eating the uh the terminator what was it the t2000 that that one <laughs> well uh well you know i was just on vacation all sorts of uh big news here in pivotal land while i was gone you want to give us a summary richard yeah what well, things can i
2: summarize so there was some uh as I call the end of summer shopping for our, our friends at VMware, who uh, announced intent to Inquire Pivotal uh, Carbon Black, which I actually thought was a Marvel superhero, but also a pretty cool name. <laughs> and uh, I think they did like four acquisitions the last two weeks, so they've just been doing a lot of things to build their portfolio up. So you know, stay tuned for when things may uh, may keep going, but. I think it's a nice complimentary story. VMware put out a good blog post we linked to. Pivotal from Rob Me put out a good blog post. And and Forrester had a really nice take on kind of how this all fits together. So worth taking a look at all of those and seeing what happens. And then uh, VMware, all this actually happening this week that we're recording, they just put out a post announcing some of their stuff, including... Uh, Some pretty cool stuff, Project Pacific, which bakes Kubernetes into vSphere, which is pretty neat. So you have the most ubiquitous infrastructure in the enterprise now with kind of Kubernetes native capabilities. So that'll be coming out shortly. Some other things around management of Kubernetes, wherever it sits with the mission control work. Continue to do more and more. So it really does seem like kind of Kubernetes is is starting to coalesce in VMware as, as being a place where not only are they committing a lot to the open source, but making it commercially available in a serious way. So pretty neat stuff. It's, uh, it's cool to see VMware playing the win.
0: Mm. Yeah. You know, th- this is reminding me, I think all the way back in December of 2014, I went to like the, uh, the Docker in Amsterdam. And I remember I met with, uh, what's his name? I think his name was his name, Chip, the guy who was heading up cloud native stuff at, uh, at VMware. And, uh, we were just kind of discussing it and trying to figure out, well, I was trying to figure out what he was talking about. You seem to know what he was talking about. But uh, now, now uh, this time later, it seems like they, they got full cloud native stuff going on over there as as it's evolved. So mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's fun stuff. Also, on the Forrester blog, I you know what I heard, Rita? I heard that Forrester hired some new um, CMO person, which I think shows because they've got like big, bright pictures of analysts on their blogs. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah. Uh, very clear. Always nice to see them. They got that new podcast they started. But anyways, I was just remembering that. Uh, mm-hmm picture on their blog. Yeah. So, They'll do some cool stuff. So also, uh, oh, and then we have Rita on as a guest who does analyst relations. We'll come back and talk in more detail about that. Uh, <laughs> she she of eating pig brains through eyeballs. But uh, <laughs> anyhow, uh, so also uh, the the new DevOps report came out, which yeah. I think we, we supported or sponsored a little bit. Mm-hmm or a lot bit. I don't know. Uh, and, uh, I, I only, you know, it has the usual stuff you would expect in, in a good way in the DevOps report that like, you know, doing DevOps practices, still good. You should do those. Keep it uh, up. And, and I, and I think, you know, being less flippant, I think there was a uh, increase in, in hiring higher, higher performing organizations, uh, since mm-hmm. last time. So, uh, things are getting better, at least in the survey base. And I'll just, uh, I'll just, say, my highlight, and maybe you have one, uh, you have one, Richard, uh, which was there was a new section on um, tactics organizations use to transform. I think there was a better name for it. But basically, they had mm, six sort of ways that organizations change all the way up from uh, just bottoms up change to uh, have a center of excellence to um, there's a couple that are basically kind of the model that I see a lot of people who are pivotal customers use, which is, start with a few teams and then figure out some way to clone them or spread them out through the organization. Uh, and then of course the big bang change where you just do everything at once. Uh, that one done by the least amount of people to the least mm-hmm. amount of success. And then my favorite, they call it mashup, which is, I don't know, everything, uh, which was also uh, widely practiced. But I think, I think what um, the conclusion they had that it was interesting from there, there's a couple of things. One that are mostly confirming of what I tend to see out there. One is like, uh, your center of excellence thing doesn't tend to work very well because you isolate all these people off into their own organization and they might even train people and training is kind of in this bucket as too as well. But the problem is there's two problems. One people kind of just go to get trained and then they kind of go back and it, it uh, they might have new skills, but it's not like a uh, kind of a hands-on transformational thing. I'm in, I'm interpolating I think a lot into, into this because it's really only three pages in an 84 page document. <laughs> Uh, But the other thing, which I think which I think was very gently pointed out was that uh, if you are someone who's training and and center of excellencing and uh, not working on product, you start to, as as I just said, not actually be working on the product and uh, you lose a little bit of touch with stuff, which becomes a little weird after a while. But, you know. As with all studies, as they say, your mileage may vary. I think there's even some internet acronym for that or initialization. But uh it, it's a good it's a good little overview of uh it's a study of something I haven't seen really surveyed before, which was fun to look at. But how about yourself, Richard? You see anything cool in there? Yeah, like you said, there's a lot of good guidance stuff. I thought
2: one thing that stood out, and I have to read this three or four more times and and quick plug, Nicole or Dr. Forrest and I are doing the webinar on this September twelfth. So she and I will be doing a webinar about this report on the Pivotal site, which will be great. Uh, but, but the one thing that uh, I was looking at was the disaster recovery stuff. It's fascinating that even the elite performers are less than half are doing even application failover, you know, disaster recovery. Oh, tests. Yeah. So, like, we're still really bad at that or, or else we just are deprioritizing it, I guess, you might say, is that in no case were even half of the people in any sort of test actually doing it. So whether yeah. that's failover or chaos monkey stuff or simulations or you know network failures, like any sort of real DR tests, even the best performers weren't even at half, which is fascinating to me.
0: Yeah, yeah. I remember that. I, I remember that one. It's also interesting. I if I was reading it right, there's there's like only seven to nine percent of people actually do like production chaos monkey testing, which right which uh matches like your first blessed intuition to this idea that you'll purposely bring down production mm-hmm. that intuition being that sounds crazy uh i guess but but it it is like a little um i don't know for for as popular and as much as it's talked about it either shows that there's a lot of opportunity or some weird as as they would say product market mismatch mm. yeah yeah, I don't know. I wonder because
2: I, I mean, I went back and looked too, and it uh, mentioned I think twenty nine percent of respondents said they actually meet all the five uh, NIST cloud criteria stuff. So if you were thinking about kind of hey, cloud, unless you're mistakenly thinking that cloud stuff's more reliable or it fails less, so I don't need to do as much DR as I used to, versus a lot of people who use public cloud say, hey, it's actually sometimes more ephemeral. Things can disappear. Things weird things happen. We should do more DR testing. Like, I don't know, just fascinating to see, like, if we're doing, we're trying to be better at cloud, but we're getting worse at DR, are we just assuming
0: the clouds do more? I don't know how to reconcile all that. Yeah. Did Did you have a look at this report, Rita? I did not. Well, now, 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 to have a second question? Let's, mm-hmm. in, in, in the general area of, like, analyst world, like, mm-hmm. uh, what, what's, What's their sense for how DevOps is doing? Would they say that it's increased or like, is there an analog of this kind of report that you find in, 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 uh, analyst land?
1: That's funny. They say that I actually, um, they're talking a lot about scaling DevOps. Mm. Um, So, you, you know, as we know, the, the analyst firms talk with large, you know, uh, conservative quote unquote organizations, and they 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 see that there's DevOps happening here and there in smaller groups, but they're having a hard time scaling it. Um, so that's that's come up a lot. Um, and I know uh, at least Gartner is really kind of um, pushing this concept of platform ops and platform teams, right? Which is uh, supposedly you know will will help scale DevOps by instilling a product mindset and building balanced teams, which you know ties in nicely to a lot of this stuff that we've been doing and that we see our customers doing. Our more successful customers have figured that out and are are are, are doing it that way. So yeah, I, I love that you guys started talking about this because that is definitely a trend I'm seeing is, so how do we scale this now? How do we yeah. take DevOps and make it real?
0: So. That does seem to be, I mean, the, the 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 PD reports I see, they do tend to cover uh, doing DevOps in the large a lot more, which, which, uh, which is interesting.
1: DevOps in the large, I love it. That's right, <laughs> large
0: ops. Uh, anyways uh so there's a lot of uh in pivotal land there's a lot of open source uh mm-hmm. updates going on there uh first of all there's a, there's a steel toe update just for people who uh haven't listened to every single episode we've ever done richard <laughs> what what is steel yeah, it's a set of libraries for .NET developers, whether you're using .NET Framework on
2: Windows, .NET Core on Linux or Windows, kind of help them do microservices sort of stuff. So whether you're doing you know, configuration stores and circuit breakers and service discovery, all these sort of concepts that make sense in the microservices world, making it easier so you're not hard-coding all this boilerplate infrastructure stuff. So there's a new release, 2, 3, uh, 2.3, has some new stuff, has some new... Uh, connectors to backing systems like gemfire oracle database connector sql server stuff support uh, some other health check things so some nice little updates there's a big update coming for 3.0 but this team keeps humming along
0: and then uh let let, we'll do a little game here usually Mm -hmm. you are much better informed about uh (laughs) items than i am i i actually did spend some time to prepare because i still got that i still got that vacation relaxness where my my. Mm mind running slow enough to actually think. And uh, I tried to educate myself on the other two things. Tell me, tell me how I did here. This yeah. is, so, Also, there's a KPAC update, or, or is it a release? I, I've, I think it's like, uh, I've never really seen it before. So.
2: Yeah, no, it's a first time. KPAC is not a wrapper. It's actually a, uh, nothing? No, okay. So KPAC <laughs> is a
0: uh, part of the build pack service. That I, we're doing. I see, I see. That's good. That's good. It's kind of like a Tetra pack. Are those yeah. Tetra packs recyclable that all the drinks come in? <laughs> I struggling. didn't mean
2: I didn't mean rapper like uh, a soda rapper. I meant like somebody who does rap music. Come on. Oh killing no me gote. Kote. Gosh yeah. sakes. Yeah. This isn't
0: yeah, this isn't a beer koozie. Are you saying that Tetra Pak is not a new uh, hip-hop person from like... Inter-
2: I mean, that is pretty also badass, but yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think K-Pak and, and Tetra Pak are going on tour.
0: K-Pak, that was that movie with uh, Kevin Spacey in it, if I if That's I remember. Well, wow, there's a really lot going on in K-Pak. Good Lord, yeah. So, my understanding from reading, it, tell me if I was wrong, is like, so. Please. if I'm wrong. So, you got you got Kube CTL, Coop Cuddle, speaking of, uh, mm-hmm. what do you call the octopus, the, uh, the cephalopods. And uh, now... Now that's a, that's a procedural way to command the Kubernetes cluster to do things like a mm-hmm. wizard. Uh, but however, well, as we all know, there's a cycle in the world. You'll do, you'll do procedural script based things. The industry thinks that's great for a while. Then it's terrible. You got to do things declarative. You can't directly tell people how to do things. So you got to do it in YAML or, uh, or some sort of DSL or something. So then, then you got your KPAC thing. There's a, more of a declarative way to use some YAML to talk about how you want to uh, orchestrate the way Kubernetes stuff is basically set up. That stuff being, as I recall, like the uh, the sort of like images, the container images that you have and kind of making sure that they uh, they stay good and how they're uh, set up in the registry. And then you can also access the logs of things going on there. Uh, that's what I got. How did I do? Yeah, I mean, KPAC for some of
2: this is just the hard part of building containers. So yeah, I mean, you're right. There's that whole set of things that people have to do in a Kubernetes cluster. For for build packs, that's always been something that was originally Heroku. Cloud Foundry kind of took it on as part of that to build containers from source code. KPAC kind of does that natively running in Kubernetes to generate these containers. We'll wrap all that up as the pivotal build service so that you can not just build them though, but also update them. That's the cool part with build packs is let's say about every seven to ten days we update build packs. Instead of a developer having to now recompile, reassemble, deploy their new stuff, we could be automatically updating images with the new container layers that come in through a build pack. So KPEX is doing some really smart work on building and then managing the containers it builds, which, you know, at scale, we're talking about DevOps in the large and talking about automation in the large, managing thousands, tens of thousands of containers, assuming you're just going to get upstream pushes from dev teams might be optimistic. So let's maybe have different ways that we can update containers as they sit in the registry.
0: Mm, so there's even more. There's also the, uh, the sort of backend janitorial service that makes sure everything stays clean and tidy running around. That's right. Good, good. Okay. So then there's also an update to riff the open source, like uh functional serverless, whatever the kids call it now, programming thing for, uh, <laughs> yeah. for the world. And, uh, so here I mm-hmm. think if if I remember it's, uh, it's, it's l- added an abstraction layer so that it's not dependent on like, uh, like K native stuff or other things anymore. But then it also has like different, different deployment models, different ways of packaging thing. You can put like raw containers in there. I don't know if that's an industry term, raw container, but that's what I'm <laughs> going to call it. Or you can deploy it Knative style or you can do kind of more of like a, a, a streaming sort of use of containers. And then also it'll use build packs and the cloud native build packs. And uh, I don't know. That, that's how do I do on that one. That was good. Yeah. yeah. So- All right. Still, Definitely a, still,
2: still a bigger update to Riff yeah, as they kind of decouple the runtime from some of the builds and things like that. So you can go ahead and build functions or apps or containers and then deploy them to different runtimes, like just a basic kind of core runtime that just runs Kubernetes, creates Kubernetes deployments and services, and that's it. Or you can plug in the Knative runtime if you want to do scale to zero sort of computing and routing with Istio as well. And then they're working on a streaming runtime to do real-time kind of stateful stream processing. So Kind of interesting. This is becoming more than just a function platform. It's really becoming kind of a Kubernetes native app platform or app runtime.
0: Mm, very good. Well, yeah. good news run through there, mm-hmm. Rita. Why don't you introduce yourself formally?
1: Sure, Rita Minacci, and I am the head of Analyst Relations at Pivotal. And,
0: and you've I been, been on a couple times before. I have.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, always fun. Less nervous this time than I uh, was the first couple of times.
0: So. <laughs> Well, that's good. It only takes a few times, and then and then you're a pro at it. No, no ducking to jingly or soft meditative music. So we'll mm-hmm. be fine. So we 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 uh, you went over a little bit about the uh, you know what what's going on in the analyst world about uh, DevOps and things like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know another thing in the DevOps report was sort of a, a a survey. I mean, I guess the whole thing's a survey, but an analysis of what people are doing as far as uh, using. Cloud, whether it's public or private or on-prem, or I think one of the answers was like I don't know, or or prefer not to say, which I think was kind of a funny answer for you, but <laughs> whatever. But what you know, in general, uh, when you look at what analysts are, are going talking about, like what's uh what's their status on cloud adoption right now?
1: You know, I it's it's growing. Right, the the interesting shift that I've seen over the past couple of years actually is that they no longer just talk about it in quote unquote public cloud sense. They're seeing some growth in on prem, right, or private. Um, there's a really good, I mean, four five one did a two parts two part report that I really liked that talks about um, the growth of hybrid uh, and also managed services. So there, the way four five one broke it up in their report. Or reports is they look at cloud as a whole, so it includes um, not just uh, um, infrastructure services, but things like managed cloud and managed or managed services or hosted on prem. So they talk a lot about that and that that growth. Um, There's a lot of talk about data workloads, right? Moving to the cloud, I think uh, Gartner wrote a report that everybody really loved that talk about that growth and, you know, the dominance of Microsoft and, and Amazon and that. Um, and then there's also a lot of talk about modern, like the next big, I think, push in cloud is going to be modernizing core apps. So that's something that I think Forrester called a few years ago and uh, refresh that report, uh, which I think we have on our website for download and you can add them to the show notes, but that's the next big push is uh, modernizing the, the old, if you will. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, they break it up, you know, the, there's, there's gonna be more growth. So, so core, core infrastructure services, sure, growing, but not as much as things like database, um, PaaS, the, uh, the term that everyone hates, but the PaaS services, uh, as well as uh, things like data services and modernizing, modern, modern, modernizing new ones, which is kind <clears throat> of what I've been noticing. So uh, th-
0: this reminds me of, I was walking the dog before this, just to add irrelevant information to the podcast mm-hmm. again. Uh, mm-hmm. but, uh, I, you know, like you were kind of mentioning, I, I think, or referring to like the, uh, the I as magic quadrant. And if I remember there's like five or seven passes six. in there, there's six. There you go. I, I, I got a, what's the opposite of, of an average where you get the outlier, the uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, like, uh, and basically the, you know, uh, Microsoft and Google and AWS were like way up and to the right compared to the other ones. And so I was thinking kind of, kind of, uh, you know, what do you, what do you do with a magic quadrant when there's only six things on it? Like, it's sort of like, it's sort of like asking people, like, do you like Pepsi or Coke? And it's like, right. uh, uh, I only get two options. Right.
1: So it's funny that you should ask that because what Gartner has done in the past when a market does not shift very much for several several years in a row is they, they downgrade it and they turn it into a market guide. All right. So that's what happened, for example, with app servers, right? Because it was just WebSphere, WebLogic, and to some degree, JBoss, right? Like nothing yeah. changed for several years. And so they downgraded that to a market market guide.
0: I now see. And is that more like a selection criteria than yeah. sort of like, okay. Yeah.
1: okay. Like right. here's the overview of the market. Here's what's happening. And here are some vendors and, uh, you know, their shtick, if you will. Here's like,
0: here's like the capabilities they have and you can match it to your, what you're, I see. That makes sense. Okay. Once it stabilizes. Yeah, huh.
1: yeah. exactly. Exactly. So, so you use market guides for like brand new or, or, or things that are kind of on the down, right. Or things that are stabilized, as you said.
2: Nice. Hmm. So you, uh, You've already name dropped a couple analyst firms that we work with. Like you said, we've talked about Forrester, we've talked about Gartner 451. So it's easy to, uh, not for you, because you're always nice to the analysts. but you know, it's easy for people to kind of dog analysts and and what they're, so tell me something nice about each of them. Like, what do you like about Gartner? What do you like about Forrester? What do you like about Redmond? Give me, give me one thing that uh, you're a fan of.
1: You know, I've got to be honest. It's all about the individual analysts. Like we mm. can talk, I, if you want me to talk about the business models, I definitely have issues. <laughs> Their sales place, I have issues. Um, but it really, it's about the individual um, mm-hmm. um, analysts. But I will say Red Monk, what I love about them is they tend to see trends a little ahead of everybody else, right? They they pick up mm. on things, particularly in the developer, uh, developer space. I think Forrester is pretty good in that regard as well, actually, because there's been a couple of times when um Forrester's called some things, you know, two or three years before uh the rest of the firms pick up on it. So um uh I, I really uh, it has to do with their business models. Um, you know, Gardner is a very buttoned up organized organization. They have a lot of automated systems, right, that you have to deal with when you're trying to engage with an analyst and you kind of have to go through the the process. And um so that that can be a bit frustrating at times because there isn't room for flexibility, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Forrester, I feel, is much more flexible. So, uh, but sorry, I'm talking not about things that I like. That's not what you asked. Well, but it. yeah,
2: there are topics <laughs> like when, when we're planning something, like what are the topics you would say? Like, I'm going to go ask Gartner, the folks we like at Gartner, or the folks that give us good advice. Like, what are there certain topic areas that you typically skew towards one or the other?
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah, Gar- look at Gartner's depth. I mean, they cover topics, uh, multiple times, um, from different angles. So I actually really like that. It can be overwhelming. You and I have talked about that. Like we could spend our, our week just reading Gartner research. I kind of <laughs> like that, you know, um, they're also consistent. They use these strategic planning assumptions and they build off of those, which I think is, is good. Um, so that's what it is. Forrester, um, I, They've in the past couple of years, they've really up leveled their the conversation, particularly around app dev and software delivery, right? So, um, you know, they have a report, and I think this one's on our site as well <laughs> about why CEOs need to care about um, app software uh, delivery and development. They don't need to learn how to code; they just need to know what's up because their 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 thesis is that that is your CEO's job depend on being good at delivering software. Mm-hmm. So those are the things. And then RedMonk, you know, again, I think, you know, I, I love the way they frame things. I like the language they use and they're just, you know, in general, their persona, but I do see that they kind of take a more holistic picture of what's going on. Um, and they cover the smaller, the smaller vendors, uh, much more deeply, I think, than some of the bigger firms. So,
2: yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you do the, uh, events for different firms. We go to Forrester events and Red Monk events. And you just went to the Gartner Catalyst event, I think down in San Diego. Any any takeaways from that? What kind of audience goes to an analyst event like that?
1: People who write checks. (laughs)
2: <laughs> is it? Yeah. i'm
1: still in that for one of our colleagues really a lot of decision makers uh, mm-hmm. the catalyst event is special because it covers all the topics right it's it's run by the group within gartner that's called gartner for technology professionals catalyst was actually an event that was put on by burton group so they kept that name uh, so they cover all the things whereas you know the gartner summits are specific to a topic like you'll have a security one you have an app dev one an infrastructure one um so that was really cool because there was all sorts of topics covered. Uh, this year, um, they there was a lot of talk about edge computing, right? Like cloud and edge, right? Like what's that's the mm-hmm. next. Um, so that was really great um, there were this, i mean in terms of like just being self serving there was a session on when to use uh, virtual machines, containers or serverless, which was standing room only so there's a lot of uh, still a lot of interest in that and containers and things like that and the 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 other topic there uh, catalyst. I talked to a couple, met to a couple of attendees, um, who a lot of office 365 content <laughs> and people mm. talking, you know, yeah. kind of like that was another one. I think the office 365 sessions were you couldn't get in.
0: <laughs> um, wow. But Yeah. yeah you that, was, that, that, that brings together, uh, two things like one, as I was reading to the, uh, the DevOps report, I was thinking like, um, and you know, I mean, this—it's a good joke opportunity for my favorite part of the IT world. It's like this doesn't seem to be speaking to uh, you know desktop management at all. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's obviously all about application development and and to the point of like you know Office three sixty five. Like I don't think the DevOps report has much to say about like uh, you know if you should have SaaS email or not. I think that's probably assumed. But like <laughs> uh, I, I get I get by selective bias on my own exposed to mostly the application development world of, of analyst stuff. But like, how, how would you chunk out like all the parts of it that they pay attention to? Like, for example, if, if I were to think about all the Forrester stuff that I read, like they have a very heavy, what do they call it? CX. They're, they're nicely, yeah. there's a whole sort of like, it's there's probably internally sort of like three to five pillars of strategic focus or something. And it seems like one of the pillars is uh, customer experience, which sort of, I'm reverse engineering this like you know subdivides into like uh marketing stuff through Instagram and then like also like uh actual application development stuff. Um but there must be somewhere someone's doing desktop management, right? Do people still do that in analyst land?
1: You know honestly that they 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 probably do uh I would say Gartner but that don't that research doesn't pop up on my on my radar cuz it's not on my radar. But I would say uh, Gartner covers all the things. Um, yeah, And, and to yeah. your point about Forrester, they're very heavily focused on, on customer experience, right? I mean, even like they have their research theme is really all about, um, I think, attracting, retaining, and delighting customers. Whether you're writing about app dev, like if you read a report about application development and uh, delivery or software development and delivery, there will be uh, at least one point in there about how that's important for attracting retaining and delighting customers so they're really big on that uh, and they're known for for pre- being pretty deep on that topic and yeah
0: also- I, you know I, I i i don't know sometimes i find myself being an apologist for the old uh, the old bimodal thing and I, and i think it's <laughs> usually what i say is it's about this topic where it's like well if you're if you're like a, a cio or someone right like and I'll use for the third or fourth time, my favorite thing, there's this fork in the road where you're like desktop management versus custom application development. And I feel like a lot of the bimodal stuff is basically like about that fork. And it's sort of like all this, like if you're going to be talking about like continuous integration and delivery, uh, like you know, there's a, some point of IT that you got to divide up the portfolio, and there's just different ways about going about things. But, but it seems like the uh, the tragedy. Uh, well, and also like over the you know the three or four years that was happening, uh, Gardner's explanation of that evolved a lot, which gets to the other point: is like all their stuff would cost thousands of dollars to read. So I'm pretty sure not that many people who didn't like it read it, <laughs> which <laughs> which is always always unfortunate uh, as as a way of self defending yourself against things. I don't really have a question there. (laughs) (laughs) I would, uh, you make me think, Rita, we
2: do a switching gears on briefings and talking to analysts. You've uh, you've been in this game for a while. You're a Mm -hmm. veteran of the analyst game. What's the, uh, without naming names, because it's probably involved me, what was the worst briefing you've been part of? And like, why? Like, what makes a bad briefing?
1: You know, a, a bad briefing is when there's no, when someone's reading, when you can mm-hmm. tell someone's reading, it drives me nuts, not just in briefings, but even when I see people presenting when they read slides.
2: Yep, those sure. are,
1: that's the worst. Or when they start off like, hey, let me tell you about the market, or let me tell you the trends. You know, mm-hmm. I always tell people, this is their job, they're analysts, don't tell them about the industry. So that always makes me cringe a little bit. Um, so I try and make sure upfront people don't do that. Um, I, I will say it's, it's, but actually the, the, the worst experience I've ever had on an analyst call, this was years ago, back when I was at Sun Microsystems and I'm not going to name any names, but <laughs> I'll just say that by the end of the call, I said to myself, Hmm, perhaps putting a lawyer and an analyst on a call together was not the best idea, <laughs> right? Um, these are two groups of professionals who kind of like to argue. So, um, You know, and it might have been, you know, a a productive argument, but uh, as my personality is, I don't like to, I like to see people smiling and nodding at each other, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just the nature of what I do. So that was really, uh, it was anxiety inducing uh, to 11, really. So that's kind of uh, something I learned. But yeah, I I think, I think back to your, back to your question, what makes it bad, makes it bad is, is not being able to read where the people want to get going, um, where the analysts want to dig in and being standoffish. And no, I always say there's always an opportunity to talk more. So if an analyst wants to go deep on something you said and you weren't planning on it, just do it and we can Mm -hmm. follow up and finish up the rest later. There isn't a rush here, you know, and that ties to, you've heard me say this about my philosophy on um, what we do in analyst relations, which is to me, a continuous dialogue. You know, I like to say that I've been having a four-year conversation with our analysts. Mm
2: -hmm. And one thing we do during... I mean, for people who aren't, haven't been part of an analyst briefing before, typically it's, you know, potentially us presenting to the analyst about some sort of announcement or initiative or whatever. What's, since most analysts, you correct me if I'm wrong, aren't always interested in breaking news. Like they're not breaking news on the Gartner site or Forrester site. So it's not about just giving them the press release. You're, what's the point in reality of that briefing? Is it to give them different context or actually have a two-way conversation? What's, what's the point of a vendor briefing an analyst firm?
1: So in general, it's for them to, to at least to get a sense of where you're going or where you're headed, right? So I like to, like, I don't, by the time your announcement is made, the analyst should know that it was coming because you've gotcha. been talking to them about it. That's how I, I like to think about it. Um, if you do a post-announcement briefing, it's to add more uh, specifics and details because they're going to get called by end users to get asked about this. What does this announcement mean? Uh, what, what is, um can you break it down for me? And so I want to arm them with the, with the answers, right. With, with the knowledge. So that's, that's what we do with the post post announcement briefings. But like I said, they should know what's coming down, uh, before it goes, goes down.
0: Yep. So, so what, a, what, a you know, I always, I always wondered this way back when, when I was an analyst, uh, but like, what, what are the questions analysts are supposed to ask?
1: Hmm. I'm supposed to ask. They, well, they, they, they need to be looking at it from the lens of their end user clients. So what does it mean for the customer? Is this going to, if they upgrade to this, what's going to break? What's still going to work? How much is it like the previous version? Mm. Um, like that? What, what are the dependencies they need to consider? Uh, those are the that I think that's number one. They need to have that perspective. and then the second will be more of the industry perspective. like looking at it from what is this is this is this on par with what they're seeing other vendors are doing or adoption trends or or such? is this are are you are you kind of you know not say really towing the line, but are you are you heading in the right direction? Does this make sense from what they're seeing uh, where are they seeing the market yeah, yeah. going or are people doing so?
0: Yeah I remember I, I remember uh when I was at 451 research they had a um, they had a very uh trying to be prescriptive list of questions that I think um I forget there was someone who 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 wrote who originated it but anyways the 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 one takeaway that I had from there that was always good that I guess I had learned when I was doing MA at Dell was like you always want to have uh, sort of like momentum figures like you know depending on who you talk to there's all sorts of numbers uh mm-hmm. that they, you are not like revenue or number of customers or percent increase or downloads or whatever, but it's always good to get uh, a running thing of like year over year numbers, at least one year to another. And like it, yeah. that does that does seem like uh, to your point, right? Like, especially if you're talking with uh, among many other things, if you're talking with end users, which is to say people who are using and buying the stuff that vendors uh, and open source people are providing, uh, like one thing they want to know is like, well, is this working? <laughs> right? Like are, are other people using it and how's the acceptance of it going? So uh that always seems like something useful to uh to yes. go over.
1: That's actually a really good point. Cause then they can also assess out like assess out how you're doing visa vis, you know, your competitors and again other other market factors. So and then they also have examples, right? So if a if a client or an investor asks things like, Well, how many other customers do they have or how many customers like me do they have mm. They'll have that answer so
0: and and then what like like uh, speaking of end users like I know what it's like to uh work with engage whatnot with analyst people but like what's it look like from an end user perspective like do they have a different business model or is it still like just seats and like rated things or or do they I guess it all depends on the size of the organization but wh- what's it like there
1: so they do have to do, in you know, they ask for inquiries the same way that a vendor would or any client would, but they offer, I think they configure the, the, uh, the accounts differently. Like I think they, it's more team based, for example, mm. um, As opposed to individual seats. And I think that, like I mean, this is at least for Gartner. Um, And they're trying to move in that direction, actually, across the board with their services. So you can't just buy, like, I just want one seat, (laughs) you know, Um, and have these, have have work group seats underneath it. But they're really looking at team structures, like, oh, if you go into this service, you have to buy at least three seats, and this is the makeup which is one of the things that uh, sort of annoys me. I, I wish that uh, especially companies that ho- offer many different services, right? For like they have, like, for example, Gartner has like, you know, for t- tech marketing teams or product managers or GMs, um, if they were, I wish they had allowed more of a bespoke type of uh, account configuration, if you will,
0: mm. um, Anyway, yeah, sorry. they're pretty strict yeah. about the categorization of stuff, right? Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like, it's, almost, it's almost as if like, uh, you're reading some newspaper and it's like you had to subscribe to the lifestyle section in the comics, but not the U.S. political news. Like, You pick all these different uh, Yeah, things. Yeah.
1: Um, what do the you other thing, the other thing for The other thing for end users is they offer additional services where they will connect you with some of your – again, depending on how much you pay them – connect you with your peers – Mm. Um, and, and those folks will go and do some research for you and come back and give you more uh, feedback or even give you questions, tell you what questions to ask, uh, the analyst. So they have uh, varying levels of of access, but yeah, in terms of, you know, how do you, how do you connect with an analyst? It's, it's similar. Uh, you go through the, at least the inquiry process is similar. You, you ask, you know, so one of the things that, that I think is, is, is important is, Knowing the analyst you want to talk to, right? Because if you put in a request and say, I want to talk about PaaS, you know, PaaS, they're just going to go through the system and they'll find somebody who covers that or who has has Mm -hmm. availability. But if you know that there is an analyst that you trust or an analyst that is uh, very up to speed on a particular vendor you're interested in, I would ask by name. Um, it's very rare that I just put in a random question. If it is, it's because it's an area that I don't know or a topic I don't know about. And I haven't been able to figure out by looking who covers it, um, uh, who that analyst is. So um, that's that's kind of one thing that I think, I'm not sure if it gets, if it gets lost with the end users or not, if they have their go-to analyst that they go to. But if I were an end user, I'd try and figure out who the analyst that's most informed about the question and ask for that analyst by name. Otherwise you're just going to go through the system and you don't know who you're going to get.
0: Next thing you know, you're talking to some, someone about desktop management. Exactly, <laughs> Office 365. <laughs> so, so that, that I have, I have two more questions, just one brief one, but then, then do uh, to do a little, a little thinking on, on your feet or, or in your chair as it were. So if we were to, if we were to look at like, let's say the past three to four years of like Kubernetes, like, what do, you, what do you think the role of analyst has been in, like, covering, shaping, and then, like, uh, finally, like, uh, to put it in the passive voice, the crowning of Kubernetes? Like, how did they, they lace into that from the beginning to the present day? Hmm.
1: I think they, well, I think they were hot on containers from the get-go because they didn't want to miss on a hot trend. Hmm. So, they started off, you know, and it was all about Docker, as we all know. Um, and Kubernetes, the way where they've arrived, where they've arrived today, is that it's still difficult, right? Despite the fact that uh, all the analysts are like Kubernetes is the way to go, everyone's hot on Kubernetes. They tend to, you know, they they fall short from saying like you should do this. They 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 try and place it as like this is where all the momentum is. Um, yeah to to rather than saying this is what you should do because what they're seeing is people are you know having some some problems despite the fact you know but they still say Kubernetes one. I think one of the I can't remember which firm it was, I read a read a report where they're like that's it. It's, it's Kubernetes is where it's at, right? That's where you're going. Um that's what you're using and that's the that's the answer. But like, but what are you asking? I think Finton Ryan at, at Catalyst had a session that said, okay, if Kubernetes is the answer, what what questions are you asking? So um, see. you know, they, they, you know, I think they sort of hedged their bet their bets, how they got to Kubernetes. I mean, I, it, it's been a whirlwind. I got to be honest, <laughs> um, uh, and how they got to Kubernetes, but it's been, been watching the, them cover containers for a while. And it's all driven by, you know, all the questions that they get. So, uh, my perspective is they're getting a lot of questions from end users about the stuff. So they've had to figure it out quickly. Um, and it's it's complicated. So um, yeah. They're, yeah, they're using they're using you know information from vendors and information from end users to form their opinions and their perspective. I don't know if I answered yeah, your yeah.
0: question. No, no, no. I, I think I think that matches exactly what I would think. And, and and like similarly, I didn't always have access to all of this stuff. But like back in the in the in the rise of DevOps, like I think it was pretty similar. Where uh, you know, in in both cases, there there's a lot of uh, footnotes. In, in analyst reports that like link to like, uh, you know, um, talks from the usual suspects, lots of Netflix commentary and things like that. But then to your point of like who the huge customer, uh, uh, the, the end user customer base is, it's people who are making conservative decisions, right? So that what they want to know, a significant amount of people want to know if it's a safe choice. So you kind of like have that uh, as to use the word again, that conservative tracking of how this technology is doing. But more importantly, how it's going to work out for you. Yeah. <laughs> right. And yeah. no, no one, no one really likes to be told that they're uh, average. Uh, but I think, I think more importantly, it might to, to use a bit of pivotal thinking. It might be like, well, is this something you want to specialize in? Like, do you want to use an experimental Scotch tape or just a regular Scotch tape? Right. <laughs> like, uh, so, you know, it, it, all depends on the profile of people, but it does seem to, uh, they're, just, they're pretty good at like tracking that kind of, uh, when, when is it across the chasm of, of safe-to-usedness? Which yeah. excellently formulate a phrase. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, it's funny because container management is uh, at the peak of inflated, um, uh, I forget the term that they use.
0: Expectations, inflated right?
1: Expectations, yeah, yeah. exactly. So, so they get it. You know, They know that everyone's asking about it, but they, and they will say in the research, um, whether it's Forrester or Gartner, that this is still complicated stuff, um, but it's getting easier. Um, but and they're also pretty pretty adamant that you shouldn't try and do it yourself, mm. right? They're, you know that if you you need help,
0: <laughs> right, right. So, yeah. so so my last my last question to to speaking of, of to make to make a uh, way too inside analyst joke. Plus, I'm going to try to do a Gartner L2 style of of chart and analysis here, right. and that is so if we were to make a uh, uh, an animated donut chart and donut because. I don't, you know, I don't never know why you use a donut chart instead of a pie chart because it just looks cool to have a hole in the middle. I'm not really yeah, sure. I
1: prefer you. donuts.
0: Yeah. See, it, yeah. I guess maybe you could put the text on the inside so you could better like, you know, uh, space out the labels. But so let's say we had an animated donut chart uh, mm-hmm. and, and what we were tracking was the momentum, the change of analysts wearing sports jackets. Like what, what, what would it look like now? Is it, is it, has it been shrinking or we, are we at like a 60% sports jackets or 30%? What do you think the splits looking like?
1: Oh, I think it's 60. Well, at Garner conferences, I believe they have to wear them. So it's, uh, mm. it's, but let's uh, do it outside out public, when they're out in public. It's like 60%. But in, if you're coming and having a meeting with them, at least with the vendors, I think they're probably less formal with the vendors than they are with the end users, but that in makes public, sense. I'd say sixty percent.
0: Wow, that's higher than I would expect. Maybe, I maybe I, I'm 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 going to the wrong sample set. But yeah, back back in my day, as it were, it was it was quite high. Uh, so uh, I I remember that was a formative moment in my little analyst life. As I was in an elevator, and there was there was an analyst in a dark navy blue sports jacket with the gold buttons. You know the full the full yep. thing, yep. and uh, I was talking with them. And I asked what they did, and they said they were a storage analyst.
1: Oh, yeah. I bet you are. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's it's trending downwards for sure. Yeah. Right? It's trending downwards for sure. But it's, uh, you know, like I said, in public, you know, they have to wear slacks.
0: (laughs) All right. All right. Well, we'll, uh, next time I run into a a Gartner L2 analyst, I'll have to uh, take note of their attire see see what's going on there. All right. Well, uh well thanks for being on us. There is there any any uh any like last last analyst things advice or commentary you'd throw out before we wrap up?
1: That's that's it. I don't know if you guys have any other questions, but um, you know, that's it's been fun, you know, it's it's a it's a fun it's fun. What we do is I, I enjoy it very much. Yeah. It's bringing people together. Um I will say one of the things that I'm really uh liking seeing is there's a lot more uh content and reports that's advising C level folks, not mm. just C level folks, even INO folks and CISOs and things like that, and how to talk business speak, if you will, how to communicate what they do in a way that is compelling or that makes sense for their, you know, quote unquote line of business partners.
0: Yeah, like, that's a good point. Yeah.
1: Right. You know, we're talking earlier about what, what, what looking at, like, how do you, how do you, how do, how do you put what you do in perspective of the business goals? Um, and there's a lot more research or reports on that, which I'm really enjoying reading. I have one that's actually about how to talk about information security in in terms of business value. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that is good. That That's probably a good keyword to search for a phrase business value and finds uh, interesting things. And then, I mean, that's kind of related to the last thing I was going to add is like, uh, there's actually, you know, for for the uh, the paywalls and stuff, which you know people got to make money, so that's fine, no mm-hmm. problem there. But there actually are, as we talked mentioned, there's actually a lot of analyst blogs that are, uh, of course, free to read, mm-hmm. and uh, and also if you if you're very if you're interested, there's uh, a lot of press releases, particularly from like an IDC. They actually jam a lot of information in those press releases, so if you got yourself an RSS reader or something. It's pretty easy to set yourself up with a uh, steady stream. Analyst stuff,
1: you know, or if you have a vendor like like Pivot, you know, look at the analyst um, analyst report well. section on our website. There's a, there's a ton of you know. I like to get distribution rights for reports that are informational, so they don't just talk about us. They talk about trends. So check out our check out the.
0: It's true. I I think, I think, I think because of you, us, uh, we put out a lot of stuff and then I noticed Salesforce puts out a lot of things and, uh, and also, you know, the usual other big vendors, but Mm -hmm. even if you don't have an account, it's easy to get access to stuff if you're interested. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, as mentioned earlier, we have a spring one platform coming up in Austin, October 7th and 9th. Uh, I think there's like a $200 code that I obviously don't have memorized. I'll put it in the show notes uh, if you want to get a discount for it. If you go over to uh, usually about every Thursday, if I remember to do it on time, I post the show notes at pivotal.io slash podcast. And as always, this has been pivotal conversations. Uh, you can subscribe to it by just searching for pivotal conversations, wherever you get podcast things, or if you're really uh, excited about the World Wide web and, uh, Universal resource locators. Is that what URL stands for? I always forget. Anyhow, you can go to soundcloud.com slash pivotal conversations. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye bye. Recording to the cloud. Well, we are. I'm going to start over. We are.